Chapter 4 Recompense The corridor outside the Hargus crypt was lit only by whale oil lanterns, and those were infrequent. The bang of a slamming door resounded behind her. The Hargus followed, ringing a bell to summon acolytes to stop her. She put her head down and sprinted to where she knew a winding stair led up to the cathedral. She had some familiarity with these halls, for she had once before descended here to meet and kill the Hargath. That had not worked out, but she had escaped with Fallow, Ragin, and Henley's help. The stair was blocked by a group of acolytes responding to the Hargath's summons, their shadows huge on the final curve of the stairwell wall. Kyla kept going, barging through an iron-bound door and continuing past prison cells. She didn't pause to study them, but they were low doors held in place by simple wooden bars on hooks. This was where Henley and Dunipples had been held. The horror of being locked in such a small, dank space gave her more speed. As she ran, the wall-mounted oil sconces grew fewer, and the halls lay in deep darkness. She chanced a look back but didn't see anyone. She noticed a passage to her left, total blackness. She dove into it, relying on her thief's training to guide her feet. It didn't work. Her foot stepped into emptiness, and she fell. Stone steps met her shoulder, her knees, her back. Abruptly, she came to a stop. She lay flat on her back, eyes to a hazy gray ceiling. Above the thud of her heartbeat and the rasp of her laboring breath came the call of distant voices. The speed of her retreat had given her a moment's respite. Picking herself up from the damp and grimy floor, she tested her limbs. The pain in her knees was nothing compared to that in her shoulder. That was thanks to Yika, who had once pulled it from its socket. Kyla rubbed it and let out a breathy curse. The voices were growing louder, but they were indistinct and hollow. She imagined the Hargath screaming orders to befuddled acolytes. She offered a few curses to the darkness. If I ever get my hands on that kill-kissing domain. An empty threat, of course. Flamishdak was untouchable, no matter her supposedly grand Mercus powers. For one, she didn't know how to use them. Secondly, he had knacks. She crept further along the corridor. The short flight of stairs she had taken the hard way had ended in a section of tunnel. It couldn't be properly called a hallway, for the ceiling was so low that Kyla had to crouch to keep from bumping her head. The walls were rough, hewn from bedrock. The gray light that filtered from ahead glistened on a sheen of greasy dust coating the floor. It was slippery and cold on her bare feet. It smelled of a forgotten root cellar full of rot. The tunnel ended in a round chamber stuffed with barrels and crates, each emblazoned with the symbol of the Way of Till. The Father God's hand, palm out, fingers splayed, three-pronged crown in silhouette above the middle finger. There was no window. The crypts and prisoner cells were too far underground. The light came from a shaft in the ceiling. A chimney flew. Past fires had coated the walls in black soot, and the ceiling was enameled with it. The room was meant for garbage burns. She stacked a few crates and empty hogsheads to form a climbing platform. She was up and into the shaft in seconds. Back pressed to one sooty wall, her feet braced against the other. It was exactly like climbing out of the novitiate's ward chimney, except in this case the shaft was many times taller.
Heights did not frighten Kyla. Falling did. So let's not fall, she said, echoing something Wen used to say. She supposed he'd gotten the advice from her father. Kyla's memories of father were vague. She shook her head and kept climbing. She didn't like to think about the past, especially the early years of her life. The voices of pursuit were drowned by the hollow howl of wind across the top of the shaft. Kyla had no idea where the chimney flue would come out. She just hoped it wasn't in a courtyard where Donesmasters meditated upon their holy magnificence or some such. It turned out to be atop the abbey, the chimney protruding from the tile roof that overlooked an interior courtyard. A cloister of double columns surrounded it, providing dry passage when it rained. At the moment, nobody was out. She studied the lay of the rooftops, looking for a path that would get her out of the abbey. The divide loomed above her, its top hazed by smoke drifting from Grissonside. Closer by, but mostly hidden behind the towers and spinets of the cathedral, was the starside wall. If ever there was a reminder of her enlightened majesty's supreme power in the city, this vantage provided it. The hoardings of a watchtower stood atop the starside wall, positioned directly above the cathedral. She wondered if some long-dead enlightened had placed it there to demonstrate the position of the raven throne above the Way of Till. How it must burn highest Benel to have that constant reminder looming over him. She could only guess at the disgust felt by the Hargath. Her eyes scanned away from the divide and starside wall and down to the nearer towers of the abbey. She didn't make a habit of climbing to dead ends that forced her to climb back down. She wanted a rooftop that led to another rooftop. The air was crisp, but the wind did not cut here so cruelly as it would higher up. Kyla's bare feet were getting a bit numb. She needed to get moving. Wiping a sheen of soot from her trousers, she went to the nearest tower. It was thicker than the others and closer to the cathedral, which formed the center, skyward-reaching focus of the entire till complex. The brickwork was well-maintained, as were the downspouts. She climbed one like a ladder, reaching a ledge that circled the tower midway. It was only as wide as her foot, more of a decorative element than a practical one. Evidence that pigeons had found it a satisfactory roost crunched and squished beneath Kyla's toes. She proceeded to the corner and peeped around. With no good fingerholds available, attempting to go around would tempt Paul's ire. Kyla didn't rely on luck to keep her alive when running the roofway. She wouldn't gamble here. Fortunately, there was a window right in front of her. She thrust her elbow into the bottom pane, hoping to shatter it. She was rewarded with a sharp shock through her forearm. The buzzing numbness flared in her fingertips. She shook it out, cursing. The pain hadn't even cracked. Cupping her hand to the glass, she peered through the window. Nobody was in the room beyond. She hoped it stayed that way. If she loitered here, she was going to be discovered one way or another, for she was completely visible to anyone in the cloistered courtyard below. She saw now how thick the glass was, likely to bar the cold winds that would strike against it. She peered through to the left and right to see how it was latched. There was a simple brass handle with a rounded wedge that drew secure under a bracket. A common design and good against thieves. There was no lock to pick, no gap to slip a slim metal shim through. Ghoulsoy, if you're watching from Ori's great pool, 
Send me what aid you can. This was ridiculous, and it wasn't going to work. Except it had to, because Kyla's toes couldn't feel the ledge anymore. Climbing down with numb feet would quickly turn into the fastest descent of her short life. She removed her queller and put it in the front pocket of her trousers. The zing was upon her instantly, the copper and tin alloy of the downspout shining a reddish color, the wrought iron spikes atop cathedral spires glowing even duller reds. Someone was cooking a ham, the scent drifting to Kyla's murkus enlivened senses from some far kitchen in Grissonside. Stomach rumbling, body shivering, Kyla turned her attention to the brass window latch. This should be simpler than unlocking the door in the Rose Hall in the Baths of Ori. After all, this was just one latch, not a bunch of hidden lock tumblers. And this was metal, Kyla's specialty. The brass glowed a dull gold, though the light did not cast rays onto the objects around it. With the glow came a bell-like tone, a resonance of the alloy. She tested her other senses against it. No taste at all, which suited her fine. Licking metal was not a favorite pastime unless it was to bite a gold skillet to test its quality. There was a slight odor to the brass, very faint beneath the delicious fumes of that good wife's ham. Kyla discovered she was rubbing her fingers against one thumb, the universal gesture for money. Her fingers lifted from her thumb, and she felt the smooth of the latch handle. She closed her eyes and forced herself to drop the words brass, latch, and handle. The mercosine was brightest when the world remained unnamed. And now the sense of touch grew more pronounced. The surface was warm, she noted. Her fingers continued to explore the mercosine feel of the latch. The less she thought about it and the less she sought to grasp it, the firmer the latch handle became beneath her fingers. She tapped a stubby fingernail against it, heard the click. She imagined how turning the latch would increase the feeling of pressure against her finger, there, right in that spot on the fleshy area between knuckles. Kyla lent pressure to the contact. The latch handle resisted. She increased the feeling of pressure. Like bone grinding on bone, the brass latch wedge began to slide. The vibration trembled against Kyla's fingers. The sound was the very real rasp of the latch coming loose. All at once, the mechanism released. The latch inside turned, and the window seemed to sigh as it came free. Kyla pressed her hand to the glass and pushed. The window swung in. And then she was inside. The shouts of acolytes and donesmasters greeted her. She looked to a descending stairwell to her right. They were climbing up to get her, lured by her exposed mercosine powers. She dug out her queller and slipped it on. The world went mute and dull. Kyla ran the other way, through a short series of halls, to a double doorway blocking her path. She burst into a lush apartment, the floor covered with thick rugs, the walls adorned with tapestries and curtains. Fire burned in a grand hearth, and luxuriously upholstered divans and lounges surrounded a seating area featuring a statue of a naked woman holding up a lantern. It was lit with Marcus light. She chose a door at random. Inside she found the largest bed she had ever seen. Flimsy veils draped from its canopy, and the bottom was festooned with a velvet ruffle and gold rope. A fire burned here, too, and the windows were shrouded by thick curtains. 
Kyla stopped and scanned for a way out. The voices of pursuit were louder now, and footfalls sounded in the corridors she had just recently fled. Someone stirred in the bed. The curtain parted, and a young woman with tousled hair peeped out. She couldn't have been older than nineteen, and she wore exactly what she had worn in the first moments of life. Nothing. Another face appeared behind hers, older but not old. Kyla recognized him instantly. She swept into a mock bow and said, Begging your pardon, Highest Benel, I seem to have upset the honey hive. May Till grin you good. She turned, eyeing another door, but Highest Benel called to her. Come here, Kyla Sai. That way leads to my wardrobe. You'll be trapped. Kyla let out a black blasphemy. The naked girl laughed, but Benel just waved for Kyla to approach. You must hide here. The first place they'll look is under the bed, Kyla said. Not under. Get in. Trust me, they'll not intrude here. Kyla stared at him, not believing her ears. Only the shouts of coming captors moved her from the spot. She dove over the girl and landed in a warm, blanket-covered realm of skin, perfume, and darkness. A rustle of bedclothes and a few soft murmurs from Highest Benel to his naked guest were all that Kyla heard as a warm, heavy blanket swept over her. Something jabbed her ribs. Lie still, Benel hissed. Legs closed in from every side, and Kyla found herself hiding between two very hot and very unclothed people. A voice cut through the weight of the down-stuffed covering that lay upon her. She was here, Benel. Didn't you feel her? It was the Hargath, though his voice was louder than Kyla had heard it before. She cursed herself for healing the man. But she had done more than that. She had given him new strength. Who was here, Sir Hargath? Perhaps if you allow me to dress, we can talk in my— Your bed companion is no secret from me, Benel, the Hargus said. Even coming through the sound deadening down, his voice was acrid. The air was so stuffy that Kyla found herself straining to breathe. Every inhalation seemed to draw in nothing but her own hot exhalations. She shoved the girl's thigh with her elbow. There was no need for her to press in like a frozen puppy— Forgive me, Seer, Benel said. She is nothing to me. The naked girl's legs stiffened, and she let out an injured gasp. But you said you loved me. By Kill's throbbing handle, what a pickle bird that girl was. If circumstances had been different, Kyla might have taken the girl aside and given her a good talking to. As it was, she wanted to pinch her behind and call her a doodle-headed ninny. Did she truly think a man sworn to celibacy would marry her? The Hargath was mumbling too softly for Kyla to understand, but his voice droned on for an eternity. If Kyla didn't get out of this bed soon, she was going to lose her mind. Strange how she'd been so cold before. Now she half-wished she were naked, too. She didn't dare move, or the Hargath would— Wait. She realized the man was blind. If she moved, he would hear the bed rustle, but he would assume it was the other girl shifting around. Kyla inched backward, trying to stay as flat as possible. Finally, she turned and lifted the bed cover enough to allow an inflow of fresh air at the foot of the bed. A sharp toenail dug into her bottom, and she had to stifle a yelp. She dropped the cover and returned to her stifling tomb. Wait till Wynne hears about this, she thought. He would laugh so hard he'd turn red. And then she remembered he wouldn't ever hear about it. When was dead. 
The Hargath said something else, a final condemnation of Benel's weakness of flesh. Then his presence left the room. Benel lifted his side of the blanket, allowing light to ooze in. The resulting display of skin did not escape Kyla's notice, unfortunately. She squirmed out of the covers and sprang from the bed. That'll give me the horrors for a fortnight, she said. Benel was pulling on a dressing gown. The girl had slumped into a pillow and was staring sullenly at the shrouded window. Why didn't you hand me over to him? Kyla asked. Highest Benel had schemed with her and Dun Marlow to have Kyla kill the old man. But she'd failed, and Kyla had even knocked Benel out using a mercosine method she couldn't remember. If anything, the man should want her hanging by her heels in Dunmeadow Plaza. He had a handsome face, young for a man of his position. It was not so much serious as it was haughty. Because, as flawed as I am, I am not without compassion. Nor am I stupid. The more he drains you, the stronger he becomes. He's already too powerful. But he is convinced, for very good reason, that I will keep nothing from him. If he probes my mind the way... But that is none of your concern. What I want in return for my mercy is a promise. Which is? You will leave Starside, preferably for the garden. But if not there, you will go somewhere far from here. You may be... He stopped and glanced at his companion. You may be that which we discussed. Demkisk. You should read Exine, Kyla said. Highest Benel did not see any humor in the comment. He frowned and motioned for the girl to depart. She gathered up her clothes and slipped out, throwing dagger glances of jealousy at Kyla before closing the door. She was plump, pretty, and doe-eyed. Kyla doubted she had ever heard of Exine. I am familiar with the apostate known as Exine, Highest Benel said. Did you know he was a farmer? Kyla decided she didn't care about the Highest's opinion. She had more faith in the voluptuary. Besides, she liked Exine's interpretation better than the way of Till's. Do you have any dragon scales I could buy? The Highest cinched the belt on his robe and moved to check his hair in the looking glass in one corner of his luxurious bedchamber. How many do you need? You're not going to ask why? But of course you aren't. You know what sort of creature desires such a thing. I suppose you are aware of what Marlow has been up to? He was expelled from the Order for his dabbles in demonic summonings. I must warn you that consorting with such dire beings is utterly despised by Till. You will suffer on this plane from the beast's duplicity, and you will suffer in Till's presence when he judges you for your actions during this life. The lecture sounded like a formality, something said without any thought about its meaning. He went to a wardrobe and dug out a wooden box from the floor in the back. He set it on the bed and removed the lid. I got this when I visited the Airy when I was a boy. My father took me there to see Noxianthony's. Braggart. Kyla crept close enough to peer into the box he'd opened. The sight of the objects within took her next words and her very breath out of her body. Nestled on a black velvet cushion was a wondrous disc. Roughly circular, it was the size of a small dinner plate. Slightly concave, it thinned at the edges to razor fineness. The color of the shiny surface swirled from aquamarine to emerald. The scale was polished to mirror brightness and gave the illusion of such depth that Kyla was tempted to press her finger into it and feel the cool depths within. 
As it was, Benel slapped her hand when she moved it toward the box. I collected this from the Erie, freshly shed from the great worm itself. I own nothing more prized. How many did the domain name as its price? One thousand. Benel snorted and closed the lid on his box. And you agreed to that ridiculous amount? What choice did I have? Kyla said. She backed away from the man and his bed. She hadn't come here to be mocked. And if you will kindly point me the way to an exit, I will leave you to your scales and your woman. Benel put his box away and turned to regard her. He didn't seem concerned that he was facing a girl who could bring ruin to the world. Do you believe the domain expects you to pay? Why else would he have named the price? A hot feeling was beginning to well in Kyla's gut. She recognized it as her instinct that she'd been swindled. The beast had wanted to free Nax from the Hargath, but not to return her to Kyla. He had taken her for himself. By striking the bargain, he'd gotten himself permission to leave the Circle of Stones, and had named such a high price, he could rest easy knowing that Kyla would never be able to pay. Did Marlowe know? she asked, fuming. She should have known better than to trust that fallen don'ts master. He was far too smooth of tongue to be trusted. What do you think? Does Dun Marlowe strike you as stupid? He was many things, but stupid wasn't one of them. It wasn't a fair deal. It doesn't count. But she didn't need Benel's laughter to confirm what she already deduced. Marlowe had known that Flaumestack's deal was impossible. But that raised another question. Why had Marlowe helped her at all? Benel anticipated it. None of us want the Hargath to go on living, much less to increase in power. Removing the beloved one, excuse me, the despised of Till, from the Hargath was only sensible. He paused and regarded Kyla. There was none of the haughty superiority in his eyes now. Instead, there was a look of curiosity. What is it like, speaking to one of them? To a cat? It's like speaking to your best friend. Insults, teasing, brutal honesty. Just talking about her bond inflamed the gaping wound in Kyla's heart. She took another step back. Just point the way out and I'll get out of your life forever. I'm done with the way of Till and all you hypocrites. If Highest Benel was insulted, he didn't show it. He merely shrugged, still absorbed in the idea of talking to a cat. Was that longing in his face, or mere stupidity? Kyla didn't know, and didn't care. You would be safe from the Hargath at the garden, he said. While I cannot send you there in my official capacity as highest, I am sure I could arrange through Marlow to get you a berth aboard a ship. Consider it recompense for the loss of your animal. I'll tell you what recompense I want, she said. Return my blade. Highest Benel looked momentarily confused, but then the dawning of a vague memory came over him. You mean the stolen shadline blade I caught you with? Why on earth would I relinquish an artifact of such immense value to one who to one to whom it clearly does not belong? Because I'm going to turn you to ash if you don't, she said. Kyla put her finger around the queller and started to remove it. The effect on Highest Benel was instantaneous. He held up both hands, face going pale. There's no need for threats. And if you remove that, the Hargath will be here instantly. Not only will he destroy you, he will know I was concealing you from him. 
When Kyla left her ring in place, he relaxed and moved toward a bureau sitting against one wall. I don't know how you came into possession of such a weapon, but I doubt you truly understand what it is. It was my father's. He never said where he got it. And your father's profession? Locksmith. That was true. Wen had apprenticed with a locksmith, too, for a while. Those memories were vague for Kyla. The fact that father had left locksmithing in favor of lock-picking was irrelevant. As for the blade being of the mythical Shadline sort, she had many doubts. For one, she didn't believe the Shadline cult existed. Second, the stories were so fanciful, featuring duels and blades with strange powers, that they seemed designed for impressionable boys. Finally, she had never seen a Shadline blade to compare Kane to. In the stories, they were all mostly swords. Benel had removed a bundle of blue fabric from a bottom drawer. This belongs to the Way of Till, he said. All Mercosine relics do, by rights granted under the Synod of the New Pantheon. He unwrapped the blade, the black sheath and hilt sucking in the light. But as a Donesmaster and highest of Till, I am not permitted to bear a weapon. Kyla held out her hand. Stop with your nonsense. You will say anything to justify stealing that thing from me. I'm not making this up, Kyla Sai. This relic is of an age before man. It was imbued with the Mercosine by the first race. That makes it an artifact of Till. To pretend otherwise would be to shirk my holy responsibilities. But let us accommodate you. Kyla smirked and waggled her fingers. Yes, let's. Highest Benel brought Kyla the blade, holding it in both hands the way a Donesmaster would carry the effigy of Till for a Till's Day congregation, with solemn respect. Kyla realized he was serious. She looked at Cain and could see nothing about it that suggested Mercosine abilities, but then she had always assumed it was merely a very fine blade. Father probably had stolen it long ago, but now that she was looking at it more closely, she recalled how she had killed an acolyte with it. Did Benel know that? It didn't seem likely. But Kyla would never forget that moment. It was the first time she had ever intentionally taken a life with the blade. The man had sought to take her to the Hargath. She'd had no choice. Cain had penetrated to the man's heart as easily as it could have into an overripe melon. And his blood had stained the hilt, but not the blade. I am Benel, highest of Till. In his name, I bestow this holy blade into your possession. May it serve Till through you. And when you have gone to join him, this blade will return to the way, so that it may once again be put to use in Till's service upon this his world. Kyla took the weapon and cinched the sheath straps around her right thigh. A sense of rightness settled on her. She did not like being unarmed these days. Benel stepped back, chanting under his breath. When he was done, he smiled at her. See, no need to ash me. I can be of assistance to you. Remember that if someday you do truly become Dim Kisk. Kyla was tempted to punch him in the gut for saying that. But when it became clear he wasn't joking, she merely glared. The exit? This way, he said, extending an arm. It led to the same closet he had warned her against entering when she'd arrived in his bedchamber. Soon it was clear why. He went to the rear wall and pressed his palm to it. Something Mercosine must have happened then, for the wall shoved inward and rotated on one side to open a gap. 
beyond darkness. My preferred route from my quarters when I'm leaving to attend to unofficial business. It will lead you to the kitchens. From there, it is a simple walk out into the plaza. A door at the bottom of a winding stairwell opened into a hallway. It bustled with servants, acolytes, and scullery maids. The smell of roasting atlan and boiled cabbage filled the overheated air. Kyla kept her head down and wound through the kitchens until she spotted a door. She went through it and was happy to find herself in the cold, wintry air of freedom.